This is part two of our conversation with A.H. Almas, or Hamid, as we call him. And if you've listened to the first part, I'm sure you're ready or wanting to listen to this. A.H. Almas, one of the great sages of our time, or as Roger says, of all times. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, Life-Enhancing, Paradigm-Rattling Conversations with Cutting-Edge Thinkers, Contemplatives, and Activists, with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. So what do you think about death when we die? I mean, what, what goes on in that process? That's a whole other topic. It's not in those books. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But it's like, I feel I have the oracles of God like open to me. So I just want to ask some really important stuff that I would love to hear your hit on that. <laughs> well, obviously, so first of all, we have to understand from the beginning that each human being is not just a body, but a consciousness, a living consciousness. By a living consciousness, I don't mean just universal consciousness. I mean individual consciousness, a particular individual consciousness that makes you the particular unique you. And that consciousness is an expression of the larger consciousness or the fundamental true nature or divine nature, whatever you call it. It is a particularization of it in each one of us. And it is uh, undying, just like the fundamental true nature. Undying is because it's beyond time. It doesn't have beginning and end in time. So that consciousness will survive, bound to survive. It doesn't make sense for it not to survive. That says death is not the end for our experience. We can begin, we can continue having experience and understanding and practice all of that. I think many traditions adhere to that point of view. So I have my view is not that radical. But what I will say is that how we live our life, how, how much we have learned will um, influence how we are as we die and after we die. And also, if we haven't learned how to learn, it will be difficult to learn afterward. We'll be lost. You know, and, and that could determine what happens. Yeah. I, I almost died about four years ago. I had a massive heart attack. Uh, coming out of a gym, the first thing I thought about was my dog who was in a hotel room. So I'm having this massive heart attack. I'm driving behind this old guy in a pickup truck, 3.8 miles to get there. And anyway, so my, my first, I, I should have flipped it over and God should have been the first thing. But when I finally got to the, uh, and collapsed on the bed with my dog, yeah. I said, okay, I can die now. She's, she's taken <laughs> care of. And uh, yeah, but God was, you know, was foremost. And I really wasn't that scared. You know, it's like, hey, if this is it, my dog's going to be okay. And you know, it hasn't been a completely wasted life. I've tried to to help and do good, and it's been quite an adventure. So uh, that was really remarkable that there wasn't 
there wasn't that fear. And they took me in to the emergency room. There just happened to be a, a center in, in Colorado where I was that took care of these kind of things. And they put a stent, you know, in my heart. And all of a sudden, oh, it all came back. I said, oh, gosh, I'm going to I'm going to live. Well, that's that's OK, too. And uh, then I said, thank you, doctor. You just saved my life. So, yeah, that that that's like my dog and God. Of course, you turn a dog on its stomach. Yeah, so did you have any death experience in the sense you experienced yourself, not the body? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Still, I was still conscious. But after I went to the ICU, they put me after the stint. I had like five hours of incredible clarity, yeah. emotionally, psychologically, relationally. Uh -huh. I see, yeah. I thought, I'm probably going to die because doesn't this happen sometimes right before you die? But then after five hours, it was like I got kicked in the chest by a mule. And, oh, you know, I went back into my my uh, my sick heart attack body. But I had I actually called some people and cleaned up some messes, you know, that uh, I hadn't taken care of interrelationally. And uh, anyway, it, it it's was, great that you didn't have fear because many people have fear and resistance and stuff and fear of loss and stuff like that. And you didn't have fear. That's good. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I still fear death as a human being walking around and wanting yeah. to get hit by the truck. But in the moment when it felt yeah. like I was going to die, it wasn't fear. It's a different state of consciousness, yeah. yeah. Just say, hey, God, if this is it, welcome, you know. Welcome me it's, back. I'm here. Yeah, I usually see, you know, dying is just going to the next thing, you know. And another way of experiencing things. You know, here we are in the physical body, Basically, to discover and learn uh, about ourselves in a certain way, the physical body gives us an opportunity for certain kind of experiences. Without it, we won't have that opportunity, but we have other kind of opportunities. And sometimes I've, I've experienced where I'm, it's like the oracles are open to me. I mean, it's all there. I just have to ask the right question. And one time I was in a situation like that, and I was like, okay, help me not to screw this up. And just as I asked you about death, I asked God about death. And I said, yeah. well, God, what about death? And the answer very, very clearly said, I will be there. And I was like, okay, I don't need to know anymore. That, that's enough for me. So <laughs> I, I found that very beautiful and very comforting. And Yeah, actually, you know, it depends on one's view. You know, if you have a view, like I've known some people who, who have the view that they believe in Jesus, for instance, and Jesus will save them. And I saw, like, after this person died, they actually saw Jesus afterward. Because I, I can see sometimes, see what, what's happening. And I was looking at the person really met Jesus. You know, I, mean, I wouldn't have called it Jesus, but for her, it was Jesus, you see. And so she was very happy. <laughs> According to her view of reality, it's true. There is Jesus, and she, and it is a real, it's a real view. It's not like a made-up thing, you know. It's, that's how it happened to her. And that other people might experience other things, you know. I had another question, and I don't know how many students you have, but I've lived with your students. I've been, you know, second person, very connected to the diamond approach for many years. And 
is there a prerequisite when you become a student that you've had that initial activation? Or maybe if people hadn't, they wouldn't be interested in the school. How does that work? Well, no, we don't require initial activation. And that's not an easy one. You know, some people have it, some people don't have it. And uh, some people get it while they are in the school. But initial activation means encountering, as I called it, in a close encounter of the third kind, you know, with the true nature or the spiritual nature in a very clear way. Some people come in with a longing or a need, uh, want to be free from suffering or longing for God or wanting to be liberated without necessarily yet having encountered what God is. You see, some people have. Many people have had various experiences that brings them to the work. And they want to sort of continue. Well, I had this experience. How do I go about it so I could have more? <laughs> Get <laughs> deeper into it. You see. And one of the turning points that these two books speak to, Hamid, is the shift from an experience, one or two or more experiences or realizations of one kind or another, and what you call runaway realization, that is a, an ongoing process of inquiry realization in which instead of a, a particular realization being regarded as final or a stopping point, it more becomes a portal for further possible openings. And you talk about the kind of dynamism which you speak of as act an activation that can occur, where the, the spiritual quest, the realization takes on a life of its own. And this kind of runaway realization opens. You say it's rare, but and you're not sure of everything that leads to this, but please speak to this, because it seems like a very important turning point. Yeah, it's something that many people don't understand or don't imagine. They think, because most paths don't talk like that. Most paths say, you want to get to this state, you want to get to shunyata, you want to get to divine. And so that's what they work on. Runaway realization says, is that there is no end to what you can realize, what you can learn about reality or yourself. And runaway means the process has no control on it. Your mind can't control it. It runs its course, you know, and it, it is liberated from view, from adhering to views. See, if you can emerge, you can go away. And so one realization can follow. And some of them can stay a few days. Some of them can stay a few years. You know, so there's no control about it. You know, so it's a, it, for me, it is a continual process of discovery. It's exhilarating, actually. It's a, quite an adventure. And uh, some of them are, you know, some of the realization, as you know, are full of lights and radiance and brilliance and grace. Some of them are simple and ordinary and so, you know, all kind of things. They're all real. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I 
for me, my life is is is, uh, is being process of that, and continues. I I haven't gotten to a place where I feel I want to sit there. I've done that before, but I learned that things don't work that way for me. <laughs> I'm I'm not in control. I suppose I, as an individual, you know, as the individual, is not in control of what happens. What have you found that allows a person to make that kind of shift to from a, a more static? Should we call it approach to spiritual spirituality and realization to this more dynamic, endlessly opening, runaway realization? One of them is really a true curiosity. <laughs> I mean, like curiosity mean you really want to know, you're questioning, you you're not interested in finding a final answer. You just want to know what 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 is the truth of things. And uh, if it is really true, coming from the true heart, you know, it becomes a, a second nature or first nature, where it just happens on its own. And it's uh, it's more like uh, like you know, recently, for instance, you know, last year or so, I've been thinking about time. You know, it's about time and timelessness and nowness and all of that. And most spiritual teaching basically say time is a delusion. It's a delusion. It's not real. The real thing is the spirit is outside of time. It's timeless. But I remember reading uh, some of the Zen teachings some few years ago, and they say a blade of grass is time. And I said, well, what does that mean? It's made of God's time. What is the time they talk about? And when I read the commentaries, everybody, most people say, well, they, they mean it's moment of time. I said, well, but they say at some places it's moment of time, but here they say it's time. So I didn't have an answer for it. But that's a question stayed in my mind until some time ago, I recognized, oh, there is really a, me, a reason why they say it's time, because we can experience things as time, as pure time. Most people don't anticipate anything like that. For most people, time is something that passes, invisible, just we know it through, you know, changes. You look at the clock, you feel a passage of something, you don't know what it is. Or if you get to an undual, you get to the nowness, the eternal now, or the timelessness, there's no time. And I realized that all these both are true, but there are other alternative, which is experiencing absolute time, the actual nature of time. And what is that like? What makes time possible? Mm-hmm. What makes timelessness possible? It was Interesting, because I, I I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting to discover anything like that. I just realized they were thinking I wasn't understanding some teachings. So, but that remained in me as some kind of question, curiosity, that at some point brought about a certain opening. And 
is do you find a value then in for your students in just holding a kind of question almost like a I guess it feels like a, a Genji koan, a life koan. Yeah. Well, you see, different people are different. Mm -hmm. Some of my students are appreciate one kind of realization more than others, speaks to them more than others. That's what I found mm -hmm. out. That not everybody is interested in just love or not everybody is interested in awareness. I mean, they're all... Many of them will be open to all, uh, all of them, but there is a gravitation in the soul toward the one particular thing that more than others. And so giving, teaching different kind of realization, uh, I'll be speaking to different people. Uh, everybody will learn them, but some people gravitate about certain thing and will tend to delve into them, open into them more deeply, more completely. And it turns out like they had some glimpses, they didn't know what it was, and the teaching gives them, oh, that's what it is, and they could learn it more fully. Mm -hmm. So it's useful that way. Mm -hmm. But it is also the reason I wrote this book, as I was putting into the spiritual discourse, and what I call non-standard realization, because uh, spiritual discourse, especially the way it has uh, materialized in the last few decades, it became focused on certain kind of realization, as if that's how spirituality is. And I wanted to show that's true, but not completely true. There are other ways people can experience things that are just as valid, just as true. And I think that enriches the field and opens it up. Yes, that's definitely something I've appreciated about these books because non-duality became kind of the well, the <laughs> the the good above all other goods in a way, and and what you did was show that that's one perspective, one view, one possibility, and that your fourth turning, as you call it, call it which you, and this view of totality can appreciate that, can appreciate the value and validity uh, and equality in some ways of multiple realizations and no realization. Right. So it's a different kind of freedom because each state of realization has freedom in it, sense of freedom, mm -hmm. liberation, but then there is the freedom of not needing any one of them. <laughs> Yes. You see, that's a, it is a freedom, but a different kind of freedom. Yes, almost like a meta-freedom. And rare, as I see it, I mean, point, I, I, there's a sense in which there's a pointing to this in, in teachings of non-attachment and openness, etc. But this is, this is very different and, and novel, it feels. Like. I, I, I myself suspect that some teachers in different tradition get to that point, but they don't speak it because mm. it's not part of their tradition. Ah, uh, yes. They don't want to disturb the traditional teaching, you see. So it is directly, they might tell, talk to their friends, but they won't do it as part of the teaching, but they might uh, live it. Because naturally, they happen. <laughs> 
I, I can't yeah. imagine the, for some of these people who are really free, it doesn't happen. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I was just thinking in, in terms of your, your view of equality or both non-finality, but also particularly the view of the recognition that every experience is is reality speaking to us, is living beings manifestation. And the thought of the Zen of ordinariness came to mind as one possible yeah. uh, expression yeah. of that. Does that resonate? Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. The ordinary, in fact, one of the freest realization is the appreciation of the simplicity of the ordinary. You see, people don't know what ordinary means. Most people know the ordinary as being full of ego suffering. Mm. But there is an ordinary in the sense that ordinary, you're a person having your life, whatever, but there isn't self, there isn't suffering. But it is ordinary. There is no light, no flashing lights, no none of that business, no such thing as pure awareness. No, it's just regular life, but there's no suffering. Do you find that people have to go through some of those flashing lights and you know big awakening things to get to that point where the yeah. simplicity? I, I think that might be necessary. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a way of the openness of the system. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. reminding me of the ox herding pictures, those wonderful portrayals of the of the stage and the final picture of the entering the marketplace with help bestowing hands, and there's a line in the commentary even the wisest cannot find them. And I think in, even, in this, even in the picture before that, forgetting the name, but there's a, there's a commentary, if birds were to drop flowers on him, he could not be in, but be dismayed with the sense that there's a realization that of the non-specialness, of the ordinariness yeah. of, of, of this level of awakening, which feels like in some ways it resonates with what you're you point to Hamid. Yeah, it is a kind of freedom and lightness that with no, no concern, you know. Hamid, I would be amiss if I didn't ask this following question. Heidi yeah. always wants me to ask this, and I want to ask it too, but it's, it's what is your practice now at this stage of your life? It continues to be inquiry. I mean, I meditate, regularly. I do have my meditations, but mostly my inquiry, my practice is just continuing inquiry, which is sort of natural by now. It's not something I have to do. It just it happens as part of the process of my living. Could you give us an example of what that inquiry would look like? Well, just like what I mentioned to you about time. I wasn't thinking. I, I read it some years ago, I realized I didn't understand it. And a few years later, experience happens. And I experienced myself as time. And that started the whole process of me looking into, wow, this is, I am time. How about other things? How about other people? <laughs> <laughs> and what 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 does it mean that I'm time? You know, what's what's it taste like? What it feels like? And you know, saying I wanted to know everything about it. And Hamid, when you meditate, what 
what is your practice? What do you do? Well, it depends. I mean, the main thing, I just sit down and don't do anything. That's meditation. And uh, sometimes I don't do anything. Sometimes, you know, I pay attention to certain things. You see, in the sense, if I notice that uh, how I find myself, and sometimes I feel there's a need to be more grounded in the here and now, so that will make me pay attention more to the belly center, the hara. But if that is not an issue, I just sit there and be quiet and sink into the quietness. Do, do you find that at times you'll get an illumination about some issue you have been kind of chewing on or looking at or thinking about in the stillness? Will it just kind of... Oh, oh yeah, of course. Stillness <laughs> brings out all time insights and illuminations. But you see, most of my uh, illuminations or my awakening don't happen in meditation. Happen is like I'm taking a shower. I remember there was a period where most of my illumination happened taking baths. <laughs> Other times it's I'm walking or talking with a friend, and you know, and so life itself, you know, is a really field where things happen. Oh, maybe I'll take Let's more baths. Think about time, for instance, where, where I had the experience, I had in a store. <laughs> friend of mine was shopping I sat in the chair looking at the street and suddenly I I realized I was experiencing things differently <laughs> yeah you, you mentioned about practice in this book that it's it's yeah. really hopeless you can't do it but it's absolutely essential that yeah. you do it in, in a right. courageous and a, de a dedicated way and that seems to I don't know make us open to grace or something make it makes us open yeah. to that's what i call the dynamic of real of, of realization which you know for most people they have to practice you know what do you do you practice and we believe our practices is what's going to cause uh, opening or realization when really the practice you could say it opens us up or prepares us for grace but in fact, the grace is already happening by the fact we we felt like practicing. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and in these books, you you describe a development of motivation that usually most of us start with some achievement, goal, orientation, self. I want to be this or that or get that, and. The that can I, hopefully that shifts into a more altruistic, perhaps even bodhisattvic aspiration for the welfare and the awakening of all. But you point out that that's not final either. It's still there's still a sense of a doing, and an, that there's not a recognition that that even that even that kind of practice is not fully acknowledging the extent to which. True nature is operating through us to yeah. realize itself. Yeah. It takes a great that. deal of maturity in the sense of having enough experience and encounters 
with our true nature to understand that. It doesn't come just, you know, without experience. It's, it's, it's the, uh, the different kind of realization awakening happening and maturing our consciousness or our soul that gets us to that place of, you know. Yeah. And, and what a gift it, it is I, for me over these last, last couple of years, there was, there was a realization oh, sitting in me meditation that there was an enormous chasm between the slightest bit of doing or efforting or trying to change anything and simply the, the allowing, the being, the, the non-doing. And Yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, one of the main important good meditation is to be aware of how we're trying to make things happen or make things happen. Because we can't uh, say, okay, I shouldn't do. You can't do that, you know, because you're doing. If you, do, <laughs> yeah. if you try to do that, you'll be doing. It's uh, a sort of awareness of how we're doing. And at some point, awareness, I can't stop it. <laughs> yeah. You're being done. Yeah. This book, I was going through some really pretty dark, painful times. Uh, this book, I definitely... Uh, transmission came through, I guess you'd say, kind of sparked more hope in me. You know, I'm glad to hear that. A little more joy and more, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, hard times happen, but this is what you're doing. There was, yeah. you know, it, it was just a big help. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Wonderful. I mean, that's why I wrote the books for things like that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one who got it, but you know, I got it. No, no, it has certainly been enormously, enormously beneficial to me. Uh, at least we have two here. <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> that's why we. That's why we're together. <laughs> I'm the third one. <laughs> I was re I was going over the box in the last few days because I haven't, you know, looked at them for several years. And, you know, just leaving through them. To, so I remember, what did I write? And I realized I was getting so <laughs> intensely in such an intense energy. I thought, oh, I was going to explode. I was getting the transmission from reading <laughs> the <laughs> And I was getting lots of it because I was going through the whole thing. <laughs> well, I've been reading them again uh, myself this time for the third time. And... As with any profound text, it was the experience, oh, where was I the last time I read this? Why didn't I see this the last time? <laughs> and uh, I, I find that with any really profound text that each time you you go through it, 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 it opens to you to new facets and depths and possibilities. And that's certainly been my experience with these. I, I think that, you know, Raja, happens every time we read something that comes from direct awakening or experience. Yes, yes. That there's, we, we all discover new thing in it. Yes. It's not coming from the mind, which is a you know, formed idea, but coming in expressing a certain experience. So there is a lot more to the experience that is you know, expressed in one word or another or in between the sentences. And you know, 
some are not expressed, might become obvious as an implication. Yes, and and there's a sense of that these books and more generally what you're speaking of, uh, communication that comes directly out of realization, out of deep personal experience, is psychoactive. That kind of communication has the yeah. possibility of true transmission. And that's what that's what I experience with these books. They're really they're really a transmission of an aspect of and transmission. And you, a person has to be open to the transmission. You're open to it. You know about this. You're open to it. You're not resisting it. You want to learn, so you get the transmission. Doesn't mean everybody will get the transmission or will get as much. You know, you can get different degrees of transmission too. But as we said yeah. earlier about writing, you had to be open also to get yeah. this stuff down. That's uh must be a remarkable thing. I, I, I think it my own little way is when we feel that we're finally out of the way enough for something good, something beyond ourselves to come through us. And that's that's probably one of yeah, them. Yeah, I mean sometimes not I'm out of the way. I'm gone. <laughs> there's no one here <laughs> there is just what the truth that is speaking that's all mm. you know there's not only for Gavti you can't find the one so out of the way definitely is an important stage but there comes a time it's not just you're out of the way there's no you to be found mm. and Nice. <laughs> I, mean, that's I mean, that's good. It feels terrific. And, uh, I mean, these realizations you've had and the, point, and the possibility you're pointing to of, of a kind of dynamism of awakening that takes over, that keeps, isn't content with resting in one place, which opens us in more and more or deeper and deeper endlessly, into other perspectives and possibilities and insights. This, this is such an important dynamic. And you mentioned curiosity as a key thing in the book. As a facilitator of this, you men mentioned in the book the, that having an experience of true nature, a very deep, pervasive experience of true nature seems to be essential. And you also mention if you speak of the multiple realizations you've had, and that perhaps if you had to point to one as most catalytic, it would be awareness in its diamond-like crystal clarity. So these are just some of the things I recall that you're pointing to that were important for catalyzing this runaway realization. Are there others? Well, that's what, what began the recognition of one runaway realization. That kind of, uh, what I call the Vajra body, uh, diamond, crystalline, not just clarity, but presence, a new kind of presence that's not just, I call it non-standard presence, you know, where presence a particular presence that implicit in it all other possibilities of presence or, or spiritual qualities. I think that's 
very important for opening, you know, to runaway realization, because this presence, is, in some sense, can be seen uh, as the source of those realization. It, it opens up the, the way for possibilities of all possible realization. Mm. But it is a particular way that our consciousness or our individual soul can at some point transform into this kind of diamond kind of presence. And is that a is that kind of opening or awakening to that diamond presence, crystalline clarity, investigative precision? Is that fostered by anything in particular? I didn't get the question. You pointed to this possibility of this diamond-like or Vajra body, I think you called it, which is so important for this ongoing catalytic runaway realization. Yeah, yeah. It's very helpful. I don't know if it's needed, but my experience, that's really what made it happen. Yeah. And is there anything you've noticed that particularly allows people to realize this body realization? It's usually, in my experience, happened in the midst of non-dual realization, the depth of mm. it. In the depth of it, I recognized there was something happening there I didn't understand. Something was arising within it, a particular not the expanse, a particular within the expanse, which didn't make sense. There's nothing in the expanse. Usually it's empty except at the surface. But here there was something floating in the expanse. I said, what is that? What's that? What does that mean? So uh, I didn't know what it was. I was curious about for a few years, actually, before it finally it revealed itself. Hmm. And ten doubts was opening up a whole other universe of possibilities. The other the possibility was that particular that was born in the non-dual was that that gave the hope for a whole other universe. That yeah, for me it was born in the non-dual. Yeah, I'm aware that you will need to leave shortly, Amit, and I just want to I want to just focus for a moment then on on the gift of this dialogue, because I'm aware as you've been describing certain possibilities now, as you described the possibility, for example, of a a crystalline clarity, I noticed my own awareness becoming clearer and brighter and and more precise. So I want to just acknowledge the, the gift of this dialogue and the transmission that's occurring in the midst of it. And uh, what a priceless gift that is. Well, we are all open to each other, which I think makes that possible. Really good, nice to have that kind of this kind of dialogue. Yeah, it's it's a priceless gift, and I think we're just both of us. So John can speak for himself, but but I think for both of us, this has been a priceless gift. And your books, are, and your work, and your teaching, and your school, the diamond work, all are just truly priceless gifts I need. I don't know anything comparable. And uh, that's, you know, I spent my life has been a search for 
both inquiry myself, but also looking across yes. the different traditions. And I think you're, you're really carving new territory. For decades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think I'd be far awake, wouldn't you? <laughs> for decades. <laughs> I, I, wonderful to see you turned on to, to the truth this way. Oh, it's such a gift to me. I am so, I mean, I, it's been a, such a privilege to do these dialogues with people, but yeah. this is the one I've been looking forward to most. And it's truly been, ah, it's so, it's so exciting, doesn't do word just, it is illuminating to have this kind of dialogue and to have this kind of transmission that you offer and simply offering your being and your work and your exploration and your, the yeah. fruits of your inquiry. And hopefully it will support everybody's realization, whatever it is, mm. and opens it up to other possibilities. Both supports and opens up. Tommy, mm. is, there, is there any last thing before, as, as we, you know, in this remarkable chapter in my life anyway, that seems that you would like to say or express? As we talk, I'm feeling more love and sweetness. Mm. I feel the whole field pervaded by some kind of a nectary, delicious sweetness. And, and that's one thing I want to say. The more we discover reality, the heart matures and deepens more. It's not just, you know, discovering curiosity and knowing. The heart deepens and expands in all of it. Mm which is what makes us really human. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for that gift. That was yes. I mean, this has been a priceless gift, and hopefully it will get out widely to lots of people and be a priceless gift to many, many others. And huh? may your transmission continue, ripple out endlessly. Thank you so much. Okay. Great talking with the two of you. <laughs> yes, yeah. okay. priceless gift. Gave me the opportunity to share whatever it is, have being share its possibilities. Yes. <laughs> I don't well, want to say me. I don't want to take credit for all of this. I understand. <laughs> and, and for that, we thank you too. <laughs> I mean, thank you very much. Deep gratitude. Deep gratitude. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation Podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.